Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. Our special guest today is Victoria Pelletier. Victoria has never let circumstances stand in her way. She grew up in an abusive home until she was removed and later adopted. Her childhood was filled with abuse, sexual assault, physical violence, but none of this has stopped her. She's overcome tremendous odds to pursue a life of corporate success and leadership. It's easy to let our circumstances stand in our way, but we don't have to. Circumstances of our past only rob us of our future if we let them. Victoria chose not to let her circumstances be her excuses. By age 24, she was offered her first executive role in a large, dynamic and fast-paced organisation. Yes, that's dreadfully young to have such accountability and responsibility. And it was her tenacity of spirit, her confidence that she could do the job and her grit to see that she could rise to the occasion, empowered by the leaders around her that led to her success. As a member of the LGBTQ community, Victoria knows about diversity and inclusion and why one without the other is of little value. It's not enough to have other voices at the table when those opinions aren't being heard. Victoria's messages have stemmed from her struggle and success in being accepted as a woman in a male-dominated boardroom and as a member of the LGBTQ community. Welcome, Victoria. Hello, and thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure to have you. And today we're going to talk about your top five tips for living an unstoppable career and life. And based on your bio, you've certainly got the uh, the credentials to uh, to advise us. So, Victoria, what's tip number one? Well, tip number one is about being resilient. As you shared a little bit in my bio, I've overcome significant obstacles and challenge, but I've had to learn how to have a very healthy level of resilience. So that is tip one, figure out how to do it not just compartmentalize, but how to develop a healthy level of resilience because we're all going to face challenge. So so give, just give us a bit more about that. I mean, how, how do you be resilient? I said, I think it's not about compartmentalizing. And I, and I would tell you, I did it wrong for the first many years. I think, you know, my adoptive mother was great at trying to pull me out. But for me, the healthy way of dealing with the obstacles and adversity is one by being, well, first of all, setting a goal and objective, whatever it is, personally, professionally, um, development of myself. One, two is then being incredibly self-reflective in um, understanding what's contributed to whether it's the action, the failure I might have had, um, the emotions that I'm feeling. The next step in that would be modeling the actions, thought, language, behavior that I want to become. And then giving myself permission to fail, quite frankly, and then picking myself back up and, you know, making that a closed loop um, uh, circuit over and over again, going back to the anchor around goals and objective. Um, feeling the emotion would be another one. So I, I talk about compart compartmentalizing. I think the unhealthy version of that is just parking the stuff that happens to the side without actually processing and dealing with it. Okay. So, Victoria, you said that your adopted mother sort of tried to get, keep pulling you out of things as opposed to, as opposed to, and, and isn't that what parents do? I mean, they try and catch the kids all the time. So, you know, don't, don't walk over there because you might trip. You know, is that what we, we raising our kids to be that we, we were there to catch them instead of letting them fall and scrape their knees? 
It's slightly different for me. My mother was very good at forcing me to do the self-reflection and understanding the feelings, the emotions, and therefore why I was acting the way I was. That's where she helped me. But it, to your question, however, I do think that the today's day of helicopter parenting um, are people who are trying to protect their children from the bumps and bruises and scrapes and trying to prevent them from failing when that's quite honestly where we're, we learn the most about ourselves and, and grow. Okay. So, so moving on, you, you know, you've got this resilience and you've overcome diversity. What's your tip number two? Tip number two is taking control of what I refer to as, you know, CEO or brand you in your career. And that means a multitude of things from, you know, the personal brand and how you show up. But very much so, I think a lot of people are expecting and and actually a little bit more so today's generation. And I say that with a 22, almost 23-year-old son and my younger one, 18, soon to be 19, you know, who expect that it's going to be handed to them on a silver platter, that the opportunities are going to fall their way. We need to take charge of our career. We need to get confident in asking for what we want. And for what we, um, the value in which we show up. So whether that's in compensation or whether that's for the next role or opportunity, I see far too many waiting for that path to be guided and brought to them versus going and grabbing it directly. So again, you are the CEO of, in my case, Victoria Peltier. And so going for what I want, go back to the resilient piece. Like first thing I start with is a goal or objective. I'm in control of how I'm going to get there. So how many um, goals or objectives should someone have, uh, you know, to to take charge of their career advancement? Depends on what your goal or objective is and how many steps are required. I mean, I'm not a big fan of uh, New Year's resolutions, for example. Uh, you know, I think we're always iterating and it's okay to pivot and change what those goals and objectives are. You know, my plan from childhood was to be a corporate lawyer, but then I found myself working throughout university and I loved the corporate world and I got promoted to leadership pretty quickly. So that goal changed based upon the the, the place I was and what I realized I really enjoyed. And so for me, it was very different in my 20s and incremental steps over learning and development I would take to make myself better in that environment to Ultimately, I had a you know goal of becoming the top 40 under 40 and becoming a CEO one day, but there were lots of steps I had to take along that path. And mm-hmm. so I think the journey and the number of goals and objectives are going to be very unique to each individual. Well, let's continue on our journey together. Tip number three, what have you got? Related to that um, CEO of, of you, the individual, is the importance of personal brand. And like no other time, particularly over these last couple of years, while we all sat staring behind a camera into these little you know, square windows with one another, how we showed up digitally when the, with the inability to sit and break bread with people became even more important. It's tough, and, isn't it? Oh my gosh, very. Like I'm, and I'm a, I'm a hugger. Like I want to embrace, I want to, you know, physically be. So it's been very, very difficult. And So we spent way more time than we might have otherwise going from one meeting room to a meeting room to another to have the opportunity to do some research. And we know that in 
work as in life. People do business with people they like, they trust, and therefore they want to do business with. So our personal brand is critically important. And that is not like most people think if you're in a, in, a, in a corporate world, LinkedIn, you set your profile, it's your job title, it's the company you work for. It's much more holistic and you need to curate the message that people you know say about you and who and how you show up. And that's the whole version of you. So yes, I'm an executive working for a large Fortune 500 company. Yes, I have side hustles on the side, but who am I as a person? Why do you want to engage with me? Because of you know, what I stand for, what I'm passionate about, the things that I advocate for. And so that's my next tip. You control your personal brand, the narrative, how you show up and make sure you're doing it consistently. And again, much like goals and objectives, it can change and evolve over time as we all evolve and grow ourselves. So so you're saying that even though you could be um, a small cog in a, in, a, in a big wheel or a huge organization, you can still have your own personal brand. 100%. I actually encourage people to separate it from their business and really focus on the personal. Why does someone want to work with you, hire you, or even become friends for that matter? Yeah, but uh, here's a, a question. I'm going to extend that a little bit before we get to the next tip. A lot of people today, and, and I meet them at conferences all over the place, spend a lot of time on their personal brand. And you almost look at what they're doing on social media as a way of saying, they're looking for their next job or their next move in the career by building that personal brand. And uh, do you think employers are much more accepting of that now that you're not tied to the corporate uh, chain for life, that people will change jobs more readily, but they'll give blood for the company while they're there? I think it's almost a given nowadays. So what I, what I see is multifold in that or- organizations want people to develop their personal brands because it reflects well on the organization and they become, in the words of LinkedIn, a social seller. So the influencer for their businesses. So they want that to happen. But the tenure has shortened dramatically as new generations look for very different things in the workplace. They want to do work that's impactful, meaningful, and work for companies that are aligned with their personal values and mission. And again, impact is a big piece and how they can contribute to that. So if companies aren't curating that kind of experience to keep people there, then they're quite aware that people are going to leave. But how do you engage them for the time they're there is critically important. Okay. So in talking of engaging, what's your next tip? Well, I have been a leader for many, many years, and the heart-centered, human-centered, responsible kind of leadership is something that is being demanded nowadays. We, You hear, as we just talked about engagement in, in a workplace culture, and employees have choice and want to move around. And the pandemic, again, caused many employees to rethink. You hear about the great resignation or the great rethink, the greats, whatever. It's great, you know, wonderful for media to come up with all these terms. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ultimately comes down to the type of leaders that we are and the people that we would want to work for. And so my advice is there does not need to be a trade-off for strong performance and performance expectations of leaders with this great humanity that can come being and recognizing whole pe- people, persons and show up each day um, is going to affect them at work. 
And so it's a very different way, I think, for leaders to to be a, say, human or, um, you know, heart-centered and I'm getting to understand their employees. That's a, a big shift that I've seen. I mean, those that build a following as they leave organizations is the type of leaders that people are most engaged in, therefore the highest performance we see in the workplace. So what's a couple of simple steps that someone could engage in to become more heart-centered? I think a big part of that is getting to know, like really know the individuals that you're working with. And I've learned from making mistakes. You know, I learned in my 20s, my nickname was the Iron Maiden. And that's because I've been through massive restructuring, 18 mergers and acquisitions, lots of really difficult decisions to be made. But I didn't show up. I I didn't get to know all of the individuals in part because one, I had a bit of imposter syndrome myself, the youngest in the room, the only woman often at the boardroom table. There's a lot of reasons I showed up the way I did. And so I didn't take the time to build really like authentic re- relationships with the team, number one. And number two, I never showed my own vulnerability to them to build that and get trust. And so those, those that authenticity and building this real trusted connection with people and to learning how to be really vulnerable those are, I, I say simple, not everyone's comfortable with that. And you'll need to lean into the discomfort um, to be successful at it. But that is what builds these kind of relationships where your employees feel that you, they can trust you and that you ultimately have their back in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, relationship makes such a difference, doesn't it? Let me, let me ask you a question. You, you've used the term a few times, the only woman at the boardroom table. And I know in, in Australia, where we're, we're you know, recording from the opposite end of the world, from the future to you, the there's a lot of work being done by the Australian Institute of Company Directors and other organisations around parity across the organisation. Now, the interesting statistic is that in Australia, 45% of our workforce is female, 55% is male. So from a workforce point of view, but our board level is below 30% female, Okay. And so has that changed the nature, you know, you as a woman in the boardroom showing your vulnerability? um, Is that seen for women still as this massive sign of weakness? Yes, I would say. But it it becomes this this real struggle for many women to um, show up in their whole selves. So for me, I am an A-type, highly driven individual who has been called the Iron Maiden, but at the same time, to be a really good leader and drive the right kind of business results with teams, I need to show the emotional side of things. And so on one hand, being driven, high-performing gets me labeled with um, aggressive, bitchy, you know, whatever term some might choose. But then the times that I show emotion in a way that I just think as a good human, I should be, you know, oh, are you being, you know, too soft? Now I have a balance um, of that. So I think generally people see it, but women are very afraid of showing up in one of those two ways, but certainly, you know, being emotional or showing that at all, they always see it as a sign of weakness and fear that and sometimes pivot, you know, to the other extreme. Yeah, I think that balancing really uh, really makes a difference. Okay, let, let us lead us on now to tip number five. We talked about my work around um, diversity and advocacy. And so, yes, I am a member of the LGBT community. I came out um, as bisexual in my teens, was married to a woman for 11 years before now being married to my 
husband, I'm a massive advocate and do a ton of um, work in that space. One of my two children is trans. Uh, but I came to that, um, the, my work around diversity, equity, inclusion, because of my lived experience. But I spent a lot of time talking with C-suite and board members around the maturity in their organizations on diversity. And I think a lot of their, you know, people start with, oh, it's the, it's the right thing to do. And it's sort of a tick in the box. But the reality is it's, it's exceptionally good for business, for our employees, for the communities we live and work for, and for the customers who want to buy from those that have aligned values. And so for me, I would you know, tell your listeners to really focus on how we can advocate. And even as white men here, your voice is your power, your ability to be allies and stand up for those that don't look like you that don't have the same lived experience that you might have, but also recognizing diversity means many things. It's not just gender and it's not just race and religion or sexuality. There's neurodiversity, there's the lived or, or in different type of work experience we have and just how valuable that can be and not merely the tick in the box or because it's what we've been told we have to do from a regulatory perspective. Yeah, very. I actually do a lot of work around this, the the culture piece. I mean, that's part of the part of what I do as a professional speaker. And and I was reading an article by um, one of the the uh, executives at a, a, a large multinational who said, "If and and, and it was a, a woman who had written the article, and she said." Um, sometimes we get this people in a box, you know, in, in their organization, they found that the programmers, the, the software people were all a particular group of people and, and the salespeople were a particular group. And, and she made an amazing comment in the article that said, if only there were more of you, we'd know why there were less of you. <laughs> you know, in a particular, and I thought that was very interesting because she was trying to get to the bottom of why people, um, drifted to people like themselves instead of building the diversity into their own groups and getting that diversity of opinion. And it, it's, you know, and it's exactly what, you know, Lindsay said in the intro about you, that you can't have diversity without inclusion. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where too much of the focus, quite honestly, it goes right now is to building the diverse workforce without creating an inclusive culture where people feel like they can belong. And so what you see instead is as quickly as you attract people through the front door, they're exiting out the back when you don't have both. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my jobs on this podcast is to keep us to time. And sadly, Victoria, we are out of time. Um, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you and explore more about um, living an unstoppable career in life, what's what's the best way for them to do that? The best way is my personal website, which is victoria-peltier.com. And why don't we spell Peltier just just to be on the safe side? We'll put we'll put the uh, the link in the show notes, but spell it out for us. Yeah, for sure. I blame my French Canadian husband for um, that last name. It's P E L L E T I E R. So Victoria Peltier.com. Perfect. Thank you very much, Victoria. This is uh, Rail Bricker from Perth, Western Australia, thanking Lindsay Adams, my co host from Brisbane, Australia, and Victoria Peltier from Miami Beach in Florida. Thank you for being a guest on the Top 5 podcast.